Welcome back to another episode of Swadeshi Videshi by yours truly, Sudhanshu. And today, this week, we're going to be doing things a bit differently. Uh, we're joined by Professor Dr. Maha Aziz, who is an, uh, a faculty member at NYU and has recently just came out with her first book called The Future World Order, A Global Legitimacy Crisis Cured by Tech. Professor Aziz, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Sudhi. Um, so let's, okay, so I'm going to give our listeners a bit of a brief bio. Uh, you went to Brown. Yes. Uh, then you did uh, your degree at SIPA and then LSE. I did my PhD at the LSE. At yeah. the LSE. Exactly. And then you did, this is your first book, but you do have something <laughs> beforehand that I've read. That's right. My first publication is a comic book, which I drew. It's called The Global Kid. It's won three awards. In, it's, in fact, up for its fourth award at the Educators Challenge. Um, there will be an event at the LSE next month. And it's a comic book that teaches tweens and teens about global challenges. I do highlight a couple of case studies, uh, country case studies, mm-hmm. um, Myanmar, Saudi Arabia, countries where I felt there were notable shifts happening and yes, it's still available, theglobalkid.org, if anyone is interested. Fantastic. So in a way, you're, I mean, the, the, the comic was an attempt to uh, dispense information um, and kind of complicated information mm-hmm. uh, to a much younger generation, younger crowd. And it'd be digestible if I'm... If that... Exactly. I, I'm a professor at NYU, mm-hmm. as you know, and I work with graduate students. My specialty is global risk, political risk, Mm -hmm. effectively what might go wrong. Mm -hmm. And I consult with governments and corporates on this topic. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I feel that it's really important for the younger generation to be more aware of the challenges that they are going to have to deal with. And Mm -hmm. I'm encouraged to see that uh, around the world, you are seeing youth led movements Mm -hmm. that are being noticed. Mm -hmm. The most recent example is the one that's occurring across Europe. Mm-hmm. A Swedish teen protested uh, for many months outside her parliament, I believe, in mm-hmm. Sweden, mm-hmm. so that her government would recognize the significance of climate change. And that has led to a, a, a movement across the, across the EU. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if it leads to some sustainable policy change, but I think it's encouraging to see that more youth are getting 
becoming more activist. In fact, in my book, my current book, Future World Order, I do encourage the reader to see how they can leverage tech as a tool to become more activist, to highlight, excuse me, to tackle some of these key challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so we'll get we'll get into that. So this uh, podcast is primarily geared towards um, an Indian diaspora audience, and yes. then you know the second layer could be a South Asian audience. But that being said, I think it's important to see uh, trends because I don't think that you know South Asia in general is an anomaly. I think that there are trends. What, mm-hmm. what you were saying about Europe, um, in America, et cetera, yes. et cetera, where you can compare and contrast. And I think it, it's important for this podcast because we're gearing towards diaspora members, right? right. So our, our listeners are from the UK, they're from the States, they're mm-hmm. from different uh, uh, you know, countries where, but you know, something draws them back towards what's happening back home. So I think what's super important and interesting is what do you mean by a global legitimacy crisis? Because that sounds really complicated yes um if you could kind of just like you know break that down and we'll see of course uh so basically in my research and my consulting work and my teaching in the last couple of years since 2012 i started to notice that there was a growing anti-government strain uh, building in most countries and we saw this is pre-trump era this is pre-trump there's a tendency for all of us at the these days to be overly reactionary to Trump Mm. and across the pond in London where Mm -hmm. I'm also a fellow at the LSC Mm -hmm. uh, for us to just focus on Brexit and Mm -hmm. blame everything on these two factors but Mm -hmm. in fact a lot of the trends we see today um, around the world have been building since as early as 2008-2009 I think it's important for youth including South Asian youth around the world to be aware of the fact that many of the challenges they may face in the Indian subcontinent are actually happening all over the world. Mm. Uh, I, there, in the book, I, I talk about four key questions that we're faced with or challenges that we are faced with. Number one, mm. the big question is, what is the world order? We mm-hmm. know that the U.S. President Trump has been very clear that he does not want to be the leader of the world. He does not want to be uh, the U.S. to be the hegemonic power. So we no longer have a post-Cold War era led by the U.S., which promotes democracy and human rights. That is a major shift that's happening right in front of our eyes. And the youth, uh, including South Asian youth, will have to come to terms with what role does South Asia play in this new world order. There is uh, a tendency nowadays to you know, default to China, that, okay, the U.S. is stepping aside on many major key issues, but China is taking a larger role. But there are other theorists who argue that the future is Asian. And I'm going to plug my friend and unofficial mentor, Mm -hmm. um, Parag Khanna's book, Mm -hmm. where he talks about, yes, of course, we're seeing the rise of China, but within Asia, there are many other countries that are trying to take a larger role. Uh, And I think we need to be aware of the fact that we need every individual, whether you're a professor, whether you're a student, needs to be aware of this major shift that's happening and reflect on where does your country fit in in this new world order. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also other theorists who argue the future is African. Mm -hmm. Um, The the greatest number of youth uh, by 2030 will be in Africa. Uh, apparently, according to some studies. Mm -hmm. So this is a major question. What is the structure of the new world order? Where are we headed? Mm -hmm. That's the first question every individual, including South Asian youth, should be concerned about. Number two, Mm -hmm. since 20, I think 2008, perhaps, 
we've seen that there's been this challenge to not just democracy, but also dictatorship. There's a tendency now for uh, citizens armed with tech to question the legitimacy of their ruling elites, of their governments. And uh, the question is, what's next? Mm -hmm. Have we seen the end of democracy? And is there another phase in our political development? Mm -hmm. How does this relate to India? How does this relate to Pakistan? I think uh, South Asian youth need to be concerned about what what their political system should be. Mm-hmm. How can we reduce that gap, that growing gap, legitimacy gap between citizen and government? In my book, I consider how tech could be part of the equation, part of the solution, part mm-hmm. of the cure. Uh, so again, we need to, everyone, including South Asian youth, need to reflect on this question. If democracy is no longer the best system, what is? Uh, thirdly, I think it's safe to say for the last 15 years there's been a debate about globalization, mm-hmm. that it, it, it is increasing inequality. Many people feel left behind, and I think that has continued. But now we're seeing the rise of populist governments, mm-hmm. economic nationalists, people, uh, policymakers who feel that globalization may not be the best uh, option for us. And then you throw in the cloud of automation, the looming cloud of automation related unemployment. Many of us are going to lose our jobs to robots. There are enough studies that say it and not enough policymakers who are really legitimately prepared for this shift that's happening and that will happen. What will happen to youth who are entering the job market in the next 10 years um, but governments have not necessarily offered, uh, prepared us for these new jobs that will be uh, coming up in the tech sector. Uh, so that is another key question. Are we prepared for um, the challenges to globalization, but also are we prepared for automation-related unemployment? How does that relate to South Asia? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe India is trying to become, or is a major tech player, mm-hmm. uh, but is the government, our future governments, going to be prepared for what that means for the job market, especially as it relates to youth? Right, you see a lot of rhetoric towards youth and skill-based job or, or training, and, right. and because preparing them for that future. Exactly. Yeah. So that is the third key question that every region is, is going to have to tackle, mm-hmm. including South Asia. And fourth, the other major question that we are uh, that we need to consider and I think frankly this is the most serious one mm-hmm. uh, we are faced with a global identity crisis the norms that the US led world order promoted of democracy of human rights of liberal values mm-hmm. is no longer the case okay I don't yet see a government or any country that is filling that fulfilling that role of promoting Uh, liberal values that could counter the growing extremism we see in the world today. And there's a trend towards xenophobia. There's a trend towards extremism, not just uh, Islamist extremism, but of course, uh, we've seen in New Zealand most recently, far-right extremism. We've seen in Southern Asia, in Myanmar, Sri Lanka, the rise of Buddhist extremism. Mm -hmm. Of course, in other parts of South Asia, including India, Hindu extremism is a concern. Uh, where is the counter-narrative to ex- the rising xenophobia, the rising extremism? Um, this is a key question. What are our global values? Mm-hmm. What are our values within our countries? But what values are important to us as an international community? Mm-hmm. Again, I feel we're not hearing the rhetoric from policymakers. 
uh, except maybe from Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of, of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. After the attack, she, uh, in her country, she l- rightly said, let's launch a global campaign against hate, mm-hmm. against extremism. I think that was a very powerful statement she made. Are other countries going to jump on her bandwagon and promote help uh, promote this campaign, global campaign against um, xenophobia and, and, and so forth? I don't know if her country or her leadership has the legitimacy at this stage. Mm-hmm. New Zealand is still a growing power in the world. Uh, and as I said, every country is now repositioning itself in this new world order to see mm-hmm. where they fit in. So we have a lot of key problems that it's it's as though the uh, the status quo that we became so comfortable with mm-hmm. is being challenged, and that effectively is the global legitimacy crisis, where the norms that we felt were um, would never really go away. We didn't necessarily think that the U.S. world-led world order would disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't necessarily think we would be debating the decline the decline of democracy in the West, mm-hmm. and even questioning. Uh, democracy as a system globally. Right. We didn't necessarily think globalization would be uh, challenged by populist governments mm. and by uh, by robots. Mm. And I don't think we really saw this coming, this identity crisis, mm-hmm. where we're wondering, we should be wondering, especially youth, mm-hmm. what are our global values? Mm-hmm. Um these are this is a scary time and i don't mean to alarm everybody and if you happen to come across my book future world order you'll see that i have been largely negative about what's coming Uh, we don't have a consensus. We will not have a consensus on these four key areas. we'll get into the what's coming in so i'm really interested um is the four questions um i think themes that you brought up just now um and i'm in midst of reading it, I have not read it. Um, uh, I, I think it's interesting because, as a as what I would say, an area studies um, podcast, we focus on very specifically on India. But it's interesting because all of the four issues that you've spoken about, these themes, I have seen. I've spoken with other people on this podcast before that derive or deal with uh, those four thematic exactly. issues within India. And obviously, they're affecting people. So at a very localized level, whether it's at a local tier governance or you know the upper echelons, whether it's our actual government right now, uh, we see that taking place. And it's interesting to see this at a global scale rather than just in India, because we tend to okay, as as you know, an Indian diaspora um, or just Indians in general, we get fed up of let's yeah. say the Indian system. Oh, this is it, and then we try to compare it to let's say in America, yeah. or and we don't necessarily see how terrible right now what's mm. happening in America but those issues uh, you make it seem like are on a global scale rather than just a very India or South Asia centric yes. these faults are there definitely I think most countries are suffering from a, an identity crisis a legitimacy crisis and if we take a step back when you say countries do you mean people or do you mean like the nation state well it, both I okay. think uh, governments are struggling with a challenge from their own people I think okay. we've seen that in the last few years where because of tech, mm-hmm. we have this chronic crisis of political legitimacy in, in most parts of the world where citizens mm-hmm. armed with tech, even in the era of fake news, are more informed. They're mm-hmm. more informed of what, about what government is doing. This allows them to be more empowered and activists, that they can leverage tech to react to government policy in a much quicker way than they could 10 years ago, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. 
So if you look around the world in the last few years and you document all these movements, it's remarkable. And uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm an anarchist. I'm not saying we should forget about yeah. government, but governments including in South Asia, need to be more adept at responding to people's concerns, which are much more aggressive now because mm. of tech. Uh, on the other hand, you could say tech can be the tool that can reduce that gap. I mean, there are countries around in Europe, for instance, Estonia, that have managed to leverage tech to uh, make uh, certain services more accessible for the average person so uh, so they feel their government is more responsive to mm-hmm. them and I think there is an effort to uh, to do that there is a, the, we're at that starting point where more governments are becoming aware mm-hmm. that aha tech can help us right. reach our people and I believe you know uh, in India I, I had read that uh, blockchain is actually being leveraged in some, I forget exactly yeah. where. There's but, a uh, Chandrababu Naidu who's a state CM yeah. and he's rebuilding his capital of Telangana and he's using blockchain as... To reduce an, corruption? To reduce corruption, yeah. systematic um, channeling of different departments, etc., etc. Exactly. And I think that's positive if that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a step but forward. But that's an anomaly. That is like yeah. one separate example right. that you won't see. Well, one thing that I'm thinking about right now that you're... And focusing on tech, especially in India... Um, you know, tech to an average listener has now come to social media, yeah. digitization, et cetera, et cetera, which are important. But then you see a pushback too for tech. Yes. Because of this, you know, crisis, what, yeah. what you're saying, um, when people, you know, it's young people that are ranting on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. uh, social media, writing, and they're participating because of tech. But they're also the ones going to jail because of, um, you know, there have been so many instances where young people have ranted about a politician or mm-hmm. a, um, a public leader and they've been booked in cases. Because of what they've posted on social media. Because of what media. they've posted, because right. they, uh, you know, criticized. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, how, wh- where's that middle line? I mean, it's how do you. It's a struggle. Yeah. I, again, I'm not saying I've, off- I've, I've offered tech. Uh, uh, tech as a possible cure, but mm-hmm. obviously it's not perfect. We all mm-hmm. know that Facebook is facing a huge backlash, correct? Right. Um, there's concern about how Facebook has been a source of election meddling, mm-hmm. uh, right? Russia mm-hmm. allegedly has mm-hmm. interfered. We know that extremists are using Facebook, WhatsApp to mm-hmm. spread their message of hate. It's, right. I believe there's been some coverage about WhatsApp being used in India to promote certain Hate, uh, mm-hmm. hateful rhetoric. Mm-hmm. There are definitely examples in in uh, Sri Lanka and Myanmar where mm-hmm. uh, extremist rhetoric against Muslims has been used. Uh, Facebook has been used uh, to, to to leverage uh, to to spread this message of hate. So I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think at a certain point will there will be more regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't know when that will come. I think mm-hmm. it's very difficult to predict. And in every conference I've attended in the last five years, there's been some representative from tech, especially mm-hmm. from Facebook, where they've told us mm-hmm. uh, they've been very apologetic about what has happened, how their uh, uh, technology has been used, and they've, they said they will try harder. It's years later, and we're still seeing it. We just saw, again, New Zealand, it was live-streamed on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I'm and not taking sure... taking it down was so difficult. Exactly. Well. So there's clearly... Uh, uh, there's clearly a lot of improvement that needs to happen. I, I don't know. I'm not a techie. I don't have the speciality, the background to really 
you know, to predict exactly when that will happen. But I feel it's worth highlighting the ideas of Kai-Fu Lee, who's written a book called A Issues mm-hmm. and the, the Legitimacy Crisis. Of course, it's happening at the government level where mm-hmm. citizens are challenging governments right. and governments are struggling with how do we respond to our people. But citizens. Yeah, but then you also have the identity crisis within society, right? Mm-hmm. Where I would imagine youth in India are also wondering what are our values, what does it mean to be Indian right. uh, in light of the growing extremism Right. And I again, I feel that's happening in most parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to one just has to read the news, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's all right in front of us. No, I mean I think that's a pre- perfect segue because uh, this season of Sudeshi Videshi, what we're starting off is going to focus on, and as you know, uh, the world's largest quote unquote um, biggest democracy festival right. is going on in India. Everyone right. loves to you know throw those. Um, words out um, and and generalize. So I think it's interesting because uh, from an Indian perspective, uh, we have uh, a lot in stake. And what you say and these themes that you're coming out of, there is a legitimacy crisis in India within its government. There is a legitimacy crisis within society as well. Mm. You know, we are at at what has been the most fractionalized uh, society because there is a very stringent left wing and there's a very yeah. uh, proactive right wing as well at the sure. same time. Um, and both are colliding and, and it's interesting to see what's coming out. Yeah. And I bring this out because I think what you're th- touching upon at a global level, um, you're seeing, especially in that identity issue, and then you see this um, emergences of tech, not just in campaigning, but how systematically uh, things are moving ahead. I mean, right. if you look at you know campaigns from 2014 to now, there have been vast uh, distinctions, um, uh, a little bit of more mellow campaigning, but mm. the usage of tech and you don't see it out in the streets. You see it within your phone screens and, and, yeah. and things of that nature, which is drastically different mm-hmm. because at first you used to you know the, the reason they used to call or do call India the festival of democracy etc because it was so vibrant mm-hmm. you know every day and, and I'm, I'm assuming in other South Asian countries it's the same but you out in the streets there would be a rally a motorcade this that whatever by every sure. local and now you see it on the palm of your hands mm-hmm. taking place and no one knows what's going on in there it's just it's happening in right. a way um, so I think, and, and, and the reason I want to go back to this, I think it's interesting is because listeners need to understand that this isn't just India's case. Yep. It's, it's, this is a global everywhere. debate. Yeah. This is a global issue. And I think, uh, you may be familiar. I don't mean to keep plugging theorists, but <laughs> you, you should be aware listeners of Francis Fukuyama, uh, post cold war declared he's a political theorist, mm-hmm. uh, I believe at Stanford nowadays. And he declared that uh, we had reached the end of our political development, that this was it. Democracy was the best system. This mm-hmm. was early 1990s, I believe, when he wrote it. And now he, even he has come out and said, I really fear for the future of democracy because the challenge we're seeing um, in the Western world and outside, we really need to sit and re- reflect on what do we mean by democracy now? And is it really delivering the public goods that we expect? Um, this is a this is unprecedented, you know, post Cold War to be having this debate. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a serious question we have to reflect on. And uh, in my discussions with students, and I have a global, I generally have students from all over the world at NYU, 
and you hear their perspective based on their life experience in different countries and they all seem to have the same question as to what could come next what could be the next phase or stage of our political development if democracy is not the uh, the final point as we had earlier imagined so i really feel that youth uh, globally and in south asia are are really in the driving seat it's up to you to reflect on what it is that you want what do you expect of your government mm-hmm. whether you label it democracy or not what is it that you expect of your leaders mm-hmm. because i think it's probably a, a struggle for the older generation who came up with a lot of these theories and expected that they would always be relevant mm-hmm. to really contribute to the debate in a way that's significant it's it's up to people like you sudhi mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and your listeners to to really take the time to reflect on what it is that you want whether that translates into a youth led movement mm-hmm. or a decision to join politics at a young age i mean that's up to you but i really feel my responsibility as a social scientist who's been focused on risk you know our threats the threats to our stability uh for so many years my job is simply to enlighten and educate as many people as possible about the fact that these problems have been building for many years mm-hmm. and it's not a question of a particular region or a particular country uh we are all faced with the same problems and the question is what are we going to do about it there mm-hmm. need to be new ideas i've subtly suggested that creative way a uh, creative um application of certain tech can be one way it's not the only way mm-hmm. you know and your generation i'm a uh, you know i'm a very old millennial or a very young generation xer depending on i don't know the cut off right. but uh, i feel your generation is more creative mm-hmm. is more entrepreneurial i think you are in a better position to come up with ways that can uh, that can really tackle these issues i think the older generation you know the 70 year old politicians mm-hmm. um yeah, or the 55 year old politicians that are still figuring out social media mm-hmm. it's going to be a struggle for them so mm-hmm. get 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 on top of it now <laughs> <laughs> and no uh to conclude uh, my last two questions or like last question and one statement um first of all is you know again i'm going to plug in the 2019 general elections in india uh incredibly important not just um you know as a daily indian citizen uh to vote to participate to yes. choose a government what would you say um you know as obviously someone who's written a book about a global legitimacy crisis right. how important and essential is it for especially people like my, me and and the vast majority of young people within india uh to carefully choose a government you think that their decision will mm-hmm. either propagate or help uh you know console this global legitimacy crisis sure. that's occurring Exactly. No, that's a great question. Of obviously, like you, I would say vote. That's mm-hmm. important. But it doesn't just end with your vote. I think mm-hmm. we've seen in many parts of the world including here in the US, mm-hmm. even after they people voted, they've still come out onto the streets and protested about issues that mm-hmm. were important to them. Mm-hmm. So don't feel that once your vote is in mm-hmm. that that's the end of your job. Mm-hmm. I think there is this is clearly an era uh of more citizen engagement and mm-hmm. that's again partly facilitated by social media mm-hmm. um so definitely uh 
be aggressive in being informed, mm-hmm. be aggressive in taking action when you don't agree mm-hmm. uh, with with what policies are in place. Because mm-hmm. I think there 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 are quite a few examples in the last few years around the world where mm-hmm. people led movements have not just brought down certain dictators, but also shaped policy in in countries which uh, have governments that are democratically elected. There mm-hmm. is potential for you, even if you're not in politics, you're not a politician or a member of parliament, mm-hmm. um, that you can sh- help shape policy simply through people pressure. Um, I'm going to assume that's a yes, by the way. Yes. <laughs> so I would say just keep at it. Your your generation, mm-hmm. uh, you, you We have are, the most at stake. Yes, you, there's a lot at stake. And I, I apologize on behalf of the older generations <laughs> that we created, helped create these problems. And mm-hmm. frankly, you, your generation, the post-millennials and younger will have to be more aggressive in, in tackling these issues because you can talk to the experts, you can talk to the academics, you can talk to former, you know, people currently in government who are much older than you, but mm. they're also scratching their heads. Mm. I've talked to people who are uh, dealing or help, trying to tackle the Brexit issue mm-hmm. across the pond in London. I've talked to people who, uh, you know, are for, who are um, formerly of government in, in, mm. in different parts of the world, and everyone seems to be scratching their heads. So this is an opportunity for your generation to really shape the mm-hmm. way the shape our future so don't blow it (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of pressure thank you so much professor aziz for coming on to the show and by the way you didn't hear about the solutions that professor aziz recommends for that you'll have to buy the book the future world order a global legitimacy crisis cured by tech and it's available on Amazon, and you can also go to www.futureworldorder.org and you can buy it there. Thanks again, Professor Aziz. Thank you. And by the way, Sudhi is my favorite student. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, guys. Suggestions, or just want to tell me how much you love Sudeshi Sudeshi, you can contact me on Twitter at Sudeshi.